Good morning, everybody. Hope y'all are doing well on this beautiful Labor Day weekend Sunday. Um, we're going to be continuing in Nehemiah, as Pastor Matt already said. Today, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapters 5 and 6. And just a little recap of what's been going on in Nehemiah. We know Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, and he went in doing his duty. And the king saw him and said, hey, why the long face? Why are you so sad? And Nehemiah said, hey, well, why wouldn't I be sad? My, my homeland is in ruins. And you know, he said, permit it that I can go and rebuild the wall, rebuild my town, rebuild my homeland. And the king not only let him go, but I love the way Pastor Roger put it. He gave him a Home Depot gift card. He let him, you know, he gave him a passport. He gave him an entourage. You know, they were all rocking sunglasses and everything, going through, going into Jerusalem, getting ready so he could rebuild that wall. And so that's, that's kind of where we're at. And, uh, you know, they're working on rebuilding the wall. And, you know, it, it's hard work rebuilding this wall. But this is it's what God wants them to do. You know, Nehemiah has been called by God to lead these people. The people have this duty to rebuild this wall. And it's hard. And so the people are crying out to Nehemiah. They're saying, Nehemiah, Nehemiah, like, we're hurting, we're struggling. These are our, our cries out. And um, they were crying out because they were rebuilding this wall at their own expense. They were doing this sacrificially. If you think about it, you know, there's merchants and goldsmiths. There's the, the you know, the poultry guy, the guy that has all the, the food and everything. The, every day you go get your food fresh. There's a guy that runs that, that shop and all these stores, but they're having to neglect their duties at their jobs so they can rebuild this wall. Well, if you don't work, you don't get paid. That's just kind of how it goes. And so they're struggling to, you know, pay for their food, pay for um, just supplies, the things that they need because they are rebuilding this wall. So they're doing this at their own expense sacrificially. So that's the first point I want to make is to be selfless in your pursuit to do the will of God. Because, you know, from a human standpoint, obedience to God can cost you a lot. Um, you know, we look at it through our human eyes, being obedient to God, you know, it can cost you your time. You know, you're here Sunday morning, Wednesday night, but that's just for church. Obedience to God is going to cost you a lot more time than just Sunday morning and Wednesday night. It's going to cost you, you know, just, it's really like a an every moment thing trying to be obedient to God, whether it's in your, your job, whether that's in uh, the conversations you have with people at work, the people you see. Trying to be obedient to God costs you a lot of time. It could cost you, you know, your relationships, your friends. There's sometimes, you know, your friends lead a very different life than you want to leave, than you want to lead when you're being obedient to God. And it just doesn't always mesh very well. You know, it, can, it costs you a lot of effort to be obedient to God. It takes, you know, it's not always the easiest thing. Sometimes it, you got to put a little effort in. Maybe it costs you your plans. Maybe your whole life you thought, all right, I'm going to grow up. I'm going to go to this school, get this degree. Then I'm going to move to this town and get this job and do this and that. Da, 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 da. Well, you know, you have that plan. And then maybe one day when you're in the middle of that plan, you meet God and he changes your life. But you still, you know, you have that, that plan that you've had for your entire life. But no, God says, that's the plan that you made, but I have something different something better for you. You may not see that as better, but I have something that I've called you to that is better. And it could even cost you your life. Um, 
am, uh, at school, I've been reading about the Anabaptist. I don't know. Not the anti-Baptist, the Anabaptist. They love the Anabaptist at Truett McConnell University. But a lot of them died a martyr's death. You know, the I think the average lifespan of an Anabaptist, once they came out as, like, confessing to be an Anabaptist was, I think it was, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's three months, or it's somewhere between three months and, like, 12 months, but that's not a long time. Once someone came out as an Anabaptist, like, that, they, they were killed. They were, because they were an Anabaptist, they were, they, the, they were looked at as they were heretics, and they were killed for their faith. Um, so it could cost you a lot from a human standpoint to follow God. But we don't live in a life where the human's point of view means anything. We live in a life where God's point of view means everything. So it seems like a lot when you look at what obedience that God could cost you, but it really pales in comparison when you see that disobedience that God could cost you eternal fellowship with God. And that's what we're here for. I mean, that's why we, we obey God. That's why we love God. He, he's brought us into his family so that we can have eternal fellowship with him. And that's what we're seeking after. That's what he wants for us. And that's what he wants, or that's what we want for us as well. So selflessly obey God. And that's what these Jews are doing. That's what Nehemiah is doing. They're rebuilding the wall but it came with its hardships. Like I said, there's the, there's the people that own the shops, the, the blacksmiths, the, the goldsmiths, whatever, the merchants. They're having to neglect their actual job so they can do this job that God's called them to do to rebuild this wall. If you don't work, you don't get paid. They're struggling to, you know, pay taxes, pay for their food, whatever it is. There's other people that are crying out. They're saying, Nehemiah, we're having to mortgage our houses. We're having to mortgage our land, our farms, because we can't pay for it. We can't, because we're not working. We can't um, work out in our farm. We can't collect our crops to sell them, to make food. We can't do that because we're rebuilding this wall. And then there's these other ones, and they're saying, Nehemiah, we, we're having to borrow money. We're having to borrow money to pay our taxes. And we don't have anything. We, there's no, like, I mean, there wasn't credit score. You know, it wasn't like I get this loan because I have a really good credit score. No, you have to put something up as collateral. And they didn't have anything. So what would they put up? Well, the only thing they had worth anything would have been their homes if they hadn't already put those up or their farms or their children. So they would have to put up their children as collateral. And then when they couldn't make these, these payments, the interest rates for these were 30 to 50%. I know somebody just shuddered whenever I heard they got scared that that was going to come back. No, 30 to 50% interest rates on these loans. That's ridiculous. Think about that. So they couldn't make these payments because of these extremely high expensive or interest rates. And then they would lose their kids. Their kids would go to the, the person that loaned them the loan, the lender, and they would become their servant. So you're thinking, wow, like these Jews, they're really struggling. Like who... You know, who's having these high interest rates on them? Who's, who's, who's putting these hardships on them? Surely it's Sanballat. You know, we've been reading a lot about Sanballat in here and his allies, the, the Ashdodites, the Ammonites, all of them. We've been reading about them. Surely it's one of them. Surely it's the Gentiles. That's what you would think. But it was really, it was the upper class Jews that were doing this to the lower class Jews. They were exploiting them and taking advantage of them. So, Nehemiah's looking at this, he's hearing all these cries, and he's thinking, well, these interest rates, not only are they unethical, but they're also a direct violation of the law of Moses. 
In the law of Moses, Moses writes, if you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, do not be like a money lender. Do not charge him interest. So for the Jews, the upper class Jews, to charge the lower class Jews interest on their loans was a direct violation of the law of Moses. So, and we've been looking the past few weeks, like I said, about Sambalit and Tobiah and the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, how they've been really trying to stop the Jews from rebuilding the wall. They've been, you know, trying to discourage them, do whatever they can, and they've been largely unsuccessful. But now there's this huge group of Jews that are really struggling, that are really facing hardship, and it's, you know, it's possible is is um there's a chance that now they're not going to be able to finish this wall there there's um it's threatening to do what their enemies have been unable to do it's threatening to stop the construction of the wall and that's the enemy within right we must confront the enemy within that's our pride and that's our selfishness because these upper class Jews are seeking to put themselves above the lower class Jews even more. They're seeking to enrich themselves at the expense of the vulnerable lower class. And Nehemiah, he knows that he needs all his people, all of God's people to be united to complete this because they're trying to rebuild this wall around Jerusalem. That's a task that you need to be united to do. So they need to be united, but their pride and their selfishness is seeking to divide them. And we know that we sin, we have this pride and selfishness, and that's where our sin comes from. Um, we're not tempted by God, right? We're, we're tempted to sin by a feeling within us, a need within us to be better than others, to have more than others, to be looked on better, have a better you know, reputation among society. We want, we want more, more money, more land, more stuff. You know, we want to be looked up to. Our sin is bred through our selfishness. And we read about that in James 1, 13 and 14. I'll read it to you. No one is to say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. So we must confront the enemy within. We must confront our pride, which seeks to place us above our brothers and sisters. See, because the gospel seeks to unite us with our brothers and sisters. We're all, you know, we're all different people. We all come from different backgrounds. We're all very different, very divisive. We can all be divided. And God seeks to unite us in the fact that we're all sinners. We're all sinners, but we're all loved by God. And we're all loved by God so much that while we are sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. And we're all united in the fact that while we are sinners and while God sent his son Christ to die for us, we can receive him as our Lord and Savior and be adopted into the family of God. And that's what unites us. So our pride seeks to destroy what the gospel seeks to create, and that's unity among brothers and sisters. And this is exactly what Nehemiah is facing, the, the pride, the selfishness. So he calls an assembly of the upper-class Jews, and he says, he tears them a new one. He rips them a new one. He says, you guys are doing really bad. You guys are doing awful with this whole, you know, taking advantage of your brothers and your sisters. You guys are dishonoring God. Y'all are dishonoring your brothers and sisters. And he tells them how they're breaking the law of Moses. And they're listening to him. And he tells them to live a life in the fear of God. And the Old Testament describes that as living a life that demonstrates your faith in God. 
And we see kind of the same message conveyed in the New Testament when Jesus is described as the way and we are to walk in him. See, God's word still stands today. We are to live a life that demonstrates your faith in God. And the, the upper class Jews, they weren't doing that because they weren't being obedient to God's word. They weren't being obedient to what God had called to them. They weren't loving the, the lower class Jews. They were dishonoring them and dishonoring God. And when Nehemiah finishes talking to them and telling them that, they're just sitting there just silent. They can't even say anything. They just show their guilt right there. There's nothing we can do. Like We, we can't even begin to deny that you're what you're saying about us. And they say, you know what, Nehemiah, you're right. We'll restore it. We'll require nothing from these lower caste Jews, and we will do as you say. So then, you know, we continue in to chapter 6 in Nehemiah, and Sanballat and his allies, they're like, all right, the wall is getting pretty close to being done, so we got to do something about this. So they say, Nehemiah, come out, come outside of Jerusalem. Come, come to the edge of the, you know, where our lands border, and let, let's talk. You know, we, we just want to talk. And that's very obviously a trap. They just wanted to get them outside of the city so it'd be easier to kill them. But Nehemiah knows this, so he, you know, he politely declines. He's a, he's a politician, so he's like, um, you know, I'd love to, but I'm busy building this wall, so I can't make it out there, maybe some other time. And, you know, that happens four times. And every time Nehemiah declines. So Sambalat, he tries a new strategy. He sends a servant with a letter, and that letter says, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that if you and the Jews plan to rebel, therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall, that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come therefore and let us consult together. So they sent this letter saying, basically, we know that y'all are trying to rebel. We know you're trying to proclaim yourself as king. We need to talk, and if we don't, we're going to go to the king, and we're going to you know, get you in trouble. And Nehemiah, he sees this, and he reads it, and his response is he said, I sent to him saying, no such things as you are saying are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So when you do the work of God, you can count on it. When you do what God's calling you to, you can count on it that there will be opposition. There will be those that will try to oppose you. They will try to frighten you. They will try to make you, you know, crawl into that deep little hole where nobody can hurt you, nobody can get you. But that's not what God has for you. They'll try to, like it said, they'll try to weaken your hands so that you can't do the work. They'll try to discourage you, put you down, beat you down so you can't do the work. But with Nehemiah, he prays, it's actually the shortest prayer in the book of Nehemiah, oh God, strengthen my hands. Whenever he was feeling discouraged, whenever he was feeling beaten down, he just prayed, oh God, strengthen my hands. The next thing we see is there's a, a guy named Shemaiah, pretty cool name if you ask me, Shemaiah, but he tells them, he comes to Nehemiah, or Nehemiah actually comes to visit Shemaiah, and Shemaiah tells him, look, you know, I've, I've had a, a prophecy, had a vision that Sambalit, his allies, they're coming tonight, and they're going to try to kill you. 
you, what you need to do is you need to go into the temple and seek refuge. You need to go in there and hide. You know, it seems like pretty good advice if you think about it, but the law of Moses actually tells us that only a priest could go into the sanctuary of the temple, which Nehemiah was not a priest. So for Nehemiah to do that, it would have been a direct violation of the law of Moses, which that is what he just got on to the upper class Jews about breaking the law of Moses. So you're thinking, why would Shemaiah tell Nehemiah to do that? Obviously, Shemaiah would know that that's a sin. I mean, everybody knew that was a sin, so why would he tell him to do that? Well, Shemaiah was actually hired by Sambalat. I know we got a lot of names going on right now. Shemaiah was hired by Sambalat to trick Nehemiah um, into breaking the law of Moses. He wanted them to do that um, so that Nehemiah would lose his credibility, right? Um, we talked about earlier how Nehemiah, he just tore into the upper-class Judeans about how they were being unethical, how they were breaking the law of Moses, how they dishonored God and dishonored their brothers. Think about it. If I was up here and I, you know, I just preached this sermon about how you shouldn't lie and it was, you know, it was the best sermon that you ever heard. You know, it was, it was great analogies, great references, great illustrations. And, you know, I use lots of scripture references and tie them together, how they, how they fit together. And you guys walk away from that sermon going, wow, like I, I never want to lie again. That was a great sermon. And then, you know, later that evening, I get caught in a lie and you guys all hear about that. You're going to be like, wow, this guy, why should I listen to a word he just said? Because this guy just spent, you know, 25, 30 minutes telling me how I shouldn't lie. And then later this evening, not even six hours later, he was lying. So why should I listen to a word he just said? I would lose all my credibility. So that's what Nehemiah was facing. Whenever Shemaiah is telling him, go hide in the temple, go, go save yourself. You know, he was being, Shemaiah was hired by Sambal to trick Nehemiah. So Nehemiah, he sees this and he says, no, that would be wrong. I'm not going to do that. Why, why would I run and hide? I'm not going to do something that's going to be a direct violation of the law of Moses. And, you know, so Nehemiah had this responsibility to be a man of his word, to be credible, to not lose his credibility. And then a lot of times we hear practice what you preach, and, you know, it's everybody that has a responsibility of practicing what you preach. It's not just pastors. It's not just you know, members of the church or, or the deacons, right? We all have this responsibility to practice what we preach. We all have a responsibility as followers of Christ to reflect a life that we are followers of Christ, that we have faith in Christ, that we love Christ, and we've been saved by Christ. That's what Christians should do. We should reflect that. So the point, the next point I want to make is to live a life that reflects that you follow Christ. You know, don't say one thing and then do another. Don't misrepresent, don't misrepresent Jesus to somebody. Don't, obviously, we're all going to do that at some point, but we should strive not to. We should strive to love others. We should strive to help others how we can, and we should strive to be like Jesus to others. And so the next big thing that we see happening here is that they complete the wall around Jerusalem. And it only took them 52 days to do that, which is pretty crazy to think about that. In 52 days, they completed this wall. And we see uh, verse 6, 16, and it happened when all of our enemies heard of it and all of the nations around us saw these things, they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. So they saw the wall was completed. The only thing... 
uh, yeah, yeah, the wall was completed. There wasn't anything missing at this point. And the people, the enemies, they couldn't deny it. They saw that, like, God did that. Their God, he did that. And when God moves, people can't deny it. Though they, they may try. Um, we saw uh, beginning of chapter, or it was chapter four, I believe, Tobiah was mocking the Jews. He said, look at them trying to rebuild that wall. I bet if a fox ran and jumped on that wall, it'd fall over, which obviously, I mean, that's pure mockery right there. Sambalat mocked them as well. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? They, they think they can rebuild this wall? Like this wall, the, the stones are burnt. They're, they're gone. Like they think they can rebuild it. Their enemies are trying to weaken their hands. They said their hands are going to be weakened by the work and it won't get finished. That's what a lot of times what, you know, the enemy tries to do to us, try to weaken our hands so that whatever work God's called us to, it won't get finished. But like Nehemiah said, oh God, strengthen my hands. And the wall was completed. Their enemies perceived, they said, this wall, this work has been done by their God and we can't deny it. So, oh God, strengthen my hands. That's the prayer that we should all pray, all echo daily because, like I said, Satan, he's going to try to distract you however he can from focusing on God. You know, like if you're a student, you know, aren't you, you know, Satan's going to be in your ear saying, aren't you anxious? Aren't you, aren't you worried about that project? Aren't you worried about, you know, graduating? You know, that class that you're kind of teeter-tottering on passing and you kind of need to, you know, do some extra credit. Aren't you worried about that? Aren't you worried about your future? Aren't you worried about whether or not you'll, you know, Past? Aren't you worried or not where you'll graduate? Aren't you worried about where you're going to move? Aren't you worried about what your job's going to be, where you can find it, get a good salary? Aren't you worried about all that? Oh, God, strengthen my hands. That's the answer. You know, maybe, you know, not a college student, maybe you're just an adult. I mean, those are, you know, people are adults too. You know, sometimes I feel like we focus a lot on the college students, but anyway, that's not important. But adults as well. Um, you know, maybe you got this beautiful house, and it comes with an ugly mortgage. You know, it's got just a lot with it. And you're like, man, you know, Satan's in your ear going, how are you going to pay that? You know, um, how are you going to provide for your family? You know, aren't you worried about that? Aren't you, aren't you worried about raising your children up in the right way, the way that God's called you to? Aren't you worried about being the provider in the house? Aren't you worried about putting food on the table? Aren't you you know, if you, maybe you just got laid off. Aren't you worried about finding a new job? You know, Satan comes in with all this noise saying, aren't you worried about this? And aren't you worried about this? And aren't you worried about this? But the answer is, oh, God, strengthen my hands. Because he's going to try to beat you down. He's going to try to wear you out, tear you down, whatever he can do to distract you from being obedient to God. And the answer is always, oh, God, strengthen my hands. The last thing, just cry out to Jesus. And, you know, you're looking at me saying, and maybe maybe you don't know Jesus. You're saying, how do I cry out to Jesus? I don't know Jesus. And I'm just here to tell you he's closer than you think because Scripture tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses unto salvation. For scripture says, whoever believes in him for not be put to shame. And just a couple verses later, Paul writes, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, you know, you're anxious, exhausted, depressed, beaten down, depleted. 
cry out to Jesus. Oh God, strengthen my hands. I can't do this without you. Like, Jesus, save me. That's, I mean, that's what we have to do. That's the only thing we can do. You know, if you know Jesus, if you know God, and you're beaten down, you're hurting, and you're pressed, oh God, strengthen my hands. Help me get through this trial. If you don't know Jesus, you just do the same thing. Just get that relationship with Jesus. Oh God, strengthen my hands. Jesus, save me. I believe that you're Lord. I confess you with my mouth. I call on you. I don't want to be ashamed. I just want to have a relationship with you. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what, that's what Scripture tells us so we know it's true. So the last thing I just want to say is just, well, I'll, I'll go through, I'll give a little review. But when we do this work, whenever we are serving God, there's always, it's going to come at a personal cost through our, our human lens. It's going to, you know, take effort. It's going to take time. It's going to take energy. It's going to be hard on us. And I just want to encourage you to do it selflessly. And I think when we look at selflessly, we kind of think of it as like putting yourself in like a lower position, like, oh man, I just stink. Other people are way better than me. No, that's not selflessly. That's not beneficial to anybody. Self Thinking selflessly is just thinking of yourself less and thinking of others more. So if we want to do the will of God selflessly, then think of yourself less, not less of yourself, and think of God more. And then, because... Though it may seem like it'll cost a lot to obey God, it costs way more not to obey God because we live in a life where God's perspective means everything and human perspective means nothing. And there's always going to be outside forces trying to stop you from doing the will of God, but there's also always those inside forces trying to stop you from doing the will of God. That pride and that selfishness inside of you will try to say, look, I know God's saying you should go do that, but that's not going to be very lucrative. Or I know God's saying you should go to this school, but it's not going to be that much fun. You know, I don't, you're not going to enjoy it that much. I know God's saying you should, you know, have this job or, you know, these friends or, you know, whatever. And our selfishness, our pride is going to try to tell us to go the other way. That's why we must confront the enemy within. We have to rid ourselves of that pride because our pride is where we get our temptations to sin. And then, like I said, there are going to be those outside forces as well, and they're going to try to beat you down. They're trying to bury you, or beat you down, wear you down, tear you down, however you want to word it. They're going to try to distract you, stop you from doing the will of God. And whenever those come, I've said it so many times today, but just, oh, God, strengthen my hands. As I was doing this, like this uh, preparing the sermon over the, the past week or so, I just, like, when I read about Nehemiah and the, oh, God, strengthen my hands, it's just every day I feel like I find a new reason to just, oh, God, strengthen my hands. Just like something will happen real quick, and I'm like, oh, man, this is, God, please just strengthen my hands in this, you know, and it's just help me get through this. Help me finish this work that you're calling me to do. I feel like it's just, I didn't think about it until I was reading through this, and I was like, man, like, there's a reason, like, every day, every, it feels like every other hour to just look up, like, God, please strengthen my hands. And we have the responsibility as followers of Christ to live a life that reflects that we are followers of Christ. So, you know, don't, like I said, don't, like, if I came up here and I told you, you know, don't lie, and then I was out there lying, I'm not being credible, I'm not, you know, I'm saying one thing and then doing another. That's not, you know, what Jesus would do. That's not being very loving like Jesus. 
And the last thing, just, you know, wherever you are in your life, whether you've been in a relationship with Jesus for a long time, whether you don't know Jesus at all, you can cry out to Jesus, and he will save you every time. If you, you know him, he'll strengthen your hands every time. And if you don't know him, he'll save you, and you can begin that relationship with him. So I just want to pray for you all, and then Matt will come up here, and we'll sing one more song. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for just all the people in this room, and we just pray um, that we would just take what your word has relayed to us today, and we would just apply it to our life however we can. And we just pray for just you to strengthen our hands against the attacks of all the outside forces that we feel, all the just the anxieties of this world, the depression, the, the just feelings of being worn and beaten down, God. We just pray that you would strengthen our hands against that so that we can survive that, we can get through that, and we can continue to do your work. We pray that you would help us to confront the enemy within God. Just pray that you would help us to rid ourselves of any pride, rid ourselves of any selfishness. God, if, if Jesus Christ can put on humility in the form of a human, then we have no reason to not be able to put on humility as well. I just pray that we'd be humble people, humble servants of Christ, God, that we would serve you and serve others humbly as your word calls us to do. And I just pray that we would just cry out to you daily, God. If we know you, if we're in a relationship with you, I pray that we cry out for you to help us get through whatever it is that you're calling us to go through. And if we don't know you, God, I just pray that we would cry out to you. And we know that your word says, who forever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I know you'll fulfill your promise, God. So we just thank you for that promise that you've given us. And we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.